So this weekend, Christians all over the world are celebrating Jesus' resurrection. It's a glorious weekend for us, our Savior alive right now from the dead. But of course, we know that there are many people who don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. There are many people who don't think that there's any evidence at all for thinking that Jesus actually rose from the dead. But what many people don't understand is that God gives us evidence for why we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. He does not call us to believe just with some kind of a blind faith. He gives us evidence. And as we examine the evidence, our faith will rise, our faith will grow. Let me tell you the story of Frank Morrison. So he was a journalist in the United Kingdom in the early 1900s. He did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And so he set out to look at the supposed evidence for Jesus' resurrection in order to disprove the resurrection. But the more closely he examined the evidence for Jesus' resurrection, the more persuaded he became that Jesus did rise from the dead. So much so that he wrote a book. It's called Who Moved the Stone? Wrote it in 1930 in which he lays out what he discovered of the evidence pointing towards the fact that Jesus Christ really did die on the cross and really was raised from the dead. Now, what I want to do this morning is show you some of the evidence that Frank Morrison saw from the first letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. We call this the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to show you that evidence. Now, let me give you some background to this book, just so we kind of see the historical context in which this book was written. Paul first came to Corinth around the year A.D. 49. And as was his practice, he went into the synagogue and they asked him to teach. And so he, he preached in the synagogue that Jesus Christ was the Messiah who died on the cross to pay for the sins of everyone who would trust him and that then God raised him from the dead. And many in Corinth believed Paul's message over about an 18-month period as Paul preached. Many came to faith in Jesus Christ. They repented of their sins, put their trust in Jesus, and they were saved. And after 18 months, a church was planted there in Corinth. So Paul then left to go plant other churches. But a little while later, Paul got news that the church at Corinth was having some struggles. They were struggling with divisions that were in their midst. They were practicing communion in some ways that weren't biblical, weren't right. They were pursuing spiritual gifts in wrong ways. And some of them were doubting that God raised people from the dead. And some were doubting that God raised Jesus from the dead. So in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul seeks to persuade those who believe that God doesn't raise people from the dead. He seeks to persuade them that God does, in fact, raise people from the dead. And in the first 10 verses of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul shows evidence for why we know that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 10. Now, as we read these first two verses, I've broken this down into a couple sections. We'll start with verses 1 and 2. As we look at verses 1 and 2, we're going to see that, that Paul says it's vital that we hold fast to the gospel. So let's read these first two verses and have the question in the back of your mind, why? Why must we hold fast to the gospel? Look at what Paul says. Now I would remind you, brothers, 
of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now notice how important the gospel is in these verses. Paul says that he preached the gospel, they received the gospel, they stand in the gospel, and they are being saved by the gospel, if they hold fast to the gospel. Now, why is the gospel so important? Let me summarize these first two verses. It's because if we hold fast to the gospel, then we are standing in the gospel and we are being saved by the gospel. That's why it is so important that we hold fast to the gospel. So let's unpack that a little bit more. First of all, what does it mean to stand in the gospel? Paul talks about standing in faith in one verse. He talks about standing in grace in Romans chapter 5. So to stand in something, in Paul's language, means that you are in the environment which makes you thrive. It's, it's what sustains you. It's what strengthens you. It's, it's living in the environment that, that, that feeds your soul. So I thought about a polar bear who's standing in the North Pole. That's the environment that sustains the polar bear. He loves the temperatures. He's got that thick wool or thick fur coat. Um, he loves hunting for seals, loves eating fish. That's the environment that he thrives in. The polar bear was made to thrive in the North Pole, so he stands in the North Pole. In the same way we human beings were created to stand in the gospel. Because when we stand in the gospel, that's where we thrive, because we are forgiven by God for all of our sins. We are reconciled to God through what Jesus has done. We have the joy of knowing God, fellowshipping with God, talking with God, trusting God, being provided for by God, blessed by God, satisfied in God. So just like the North Pole is where the polar bear stands, because that's where he thrives, so when we stand in the gospel, that's when we thrive. And now imagine what would happen if the polar bear decided, I'm not going to stand in the North Pole anymore. I'm going to go stand in the Lewa Desert. Well, that would be disastrous. The polar bear would die. And that's what happens to us if we're not standing in the gospel. It'd be like a polar bear living in Lewa Desert. For us not to stand in the gospel, for us to, to stand maybe in our career thinking that's what's going to sustain us, to think that some new relationship is what's going to sustain us, we're going to stand in that, or some area of sin is going to sustain us, we will die if we do that. We were meant, we were created to stand in the gospel, reconciled to God, forgiven by God, knowing God through Jesus. So ask yourself, are you standing in the gospel today? Is, is the gospel, the truth of Jesus, reconciling you to God, knowing God, is, is the gospel what is sustaining you? Or are you trying to get your sustenance from something else? Then let's look at that phrase, how we are being saved by the gospel. What does that mean? Because we're used to reading Paul like in Ephesians 2, by grace you have been saved. We're used to seeing Paul talking about how we've been saved in the past. But here Paul says that we are being saved in an ongoing way in the present. So what does that mean? How are, are we being saved? Well, first of all, the way we have been saved is that the moment you put your trust in Jesus, 
as your Savior, your Lord, your treasure. At that moment, all your sins are forgiven. Past sins, present sins, future sins, all forgiven. You are reconciled to God. You are saved. You have been saved, and, and heaven is secured for you. You will enter heaven. That's what happens the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ. You were saved. And yet also, Paul says that we are being saved. How are we being saved? Well, as we continue to trust Jesus, we continue, for example, to be assured of our forgiveness. We will have times where he pours his love into our hearts so we know and feel we're forgiven. God loves us. We'll know that. We'll have times where we receive amazing strength to overcome temptation. We'll have times where we are discouraged, and as we open up the scriptures and pray, the Holy Spirit fills us with peace and joy as we see the truth of who God is. We'll have times where our hearts are just filled overflowing with joy in beholding God's glory. We are being saved. So we have been saved and we are being saved. So think about this. This last week, just as an example, as you look back to this past week, have you been being saved by the gospel? Has that been your experience this past week? Now notice in these first two verses, Paul says, there's something we must do in order to stand in the gospel and in order to continue being saved by the gospel. Let's read these first two verses again and notice what we must do. Verse 1, Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So what we must do is hold fast to the gospel. Now, what does that mean? Well, here's the illustration that, that helps me. Think about a, a, a massive river flowing, big, wide river, like the Mississippi in the U.S. or the, the Amazon River or the Rhine, big, big, big rivers flowing. And sin is like a, a flowing river which is moving towards the waterfalls of God's judgment. And tragically, we are all in that river of sin because we've all turned our backs against God. We've all decided we want to live life our own way. That's what the Bible calls sin. And so we are all in this river of sin, which is moving us relentlessly, unstoppably towards the, the waterfall of God's judgment. I mean, can, can you hear the, the, the roaring, the thundering of this massive destructive waterfall that we are all moving towards? But here's the good news of the gospel. God, in great mercy, sent Jesus to earth. Jesus, who was fully God, God the Son, humbled himself to be born as a baby, a baby, and then grew up and went to the cross, died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who will trust him. And then God raised him from the dead, showing that his death did pay for the sins of all who will trust him. So by dying on the cross and rising from the dead, it's like Jesus has stood on the shore of this river of sin and we're all out there floating towards the waterfalls of destruction and he's thrown us the lifeline of the gospel. And Jesus says, hold fast, hold fast to the gospel, hold fast to this lifeline and you will stand in the gospel and you will be saved by the gospel. It's Jesus calling out, hold fast to the lifeline of the gospel. 
And sure enough, when we lay hold of that, we, we, we feel Jesus on the other end. He's pulling us, pulling us. As we hold on to it, we're moving. We're moving out of the river of sin. He's pulling us out of the river of sin and we'll ultimately be on the shore of heaven with him in his presence, the presence of God the Father, filled with joy beholding him with all the saints forever. That's what happens when you lay hold of the, this lifeline of the gospel. Now, Paul's point here is that we must keep holding. We must hold fast to the gospel. Don't, don't loosen your grip. Don't think you, well, I, I grabbed on, you know, a few years ago. I'm, I'm going to kind of just like loosen my grip right now. See, if we do that, then Paul says we are running the risk of not standing in the gospel, not being saved by the gospel, going over the waterfalls of God's destruction. Now, whenever we see a passage like this where there's warnings given to believers, I always want to stop and, and clarify what, what Paul is saying and what he is not saying. Paul is not saying that someone can be genuinely saved, grab onto the lifeline, be forgiven by God, be born again, and then end up facing judgment forever. The Bible does not teach that. That is not possible. The reason is because whenever someone genuinely grabs onto the lifeline of the gospel, from that point on, God is going to keep them holding fast to the gospel, to the lifeline, or if they start to slip or start to drift, he will bring them back to hold onto the gospel so that everyone who genuinely from the heart grips onto the lifeline of the gospel will be pulled by Jesus out of the river of sin to the shoreline of heaven. It will happen. So God will keep us holding on. And one of the ways he does that is that when he saves us, he changes our hearts. So we take passages like this seriously. Paul says, hold fast to the, to the word, hold fast to the gospel, hold fast to the lifeline. And because the Holy Spirit has saved us, we say, yes, I want to hold fast. Am I holding fast? Am I, am I gripping on here? So see, it's not, it's not that we can lose our salvation if we let go. That would show that we were never saved to begin with. We never really were holding on. So ask the, this question, are you right now today holding fast to the gospel. Maybe, maybe some of you are like, you got one hand on the gospel, the lifeline of the gospel. The other hand, you're, you're, you're looking around for other like things you can hold on. I'd like something else. Maybe I'm gonna hold on to this for a while. Or, or maybe it's like, you know, I've been holding on to the gospel for a long time. I think I'm just gonna take a little bit of a break here. Listen, the river is relentless. It will move you towards the waterfall of destruction. And if you don't hold fast, you risk going over the waterfalls into eternal destruction. So are you holding fast to the gospel? Now, there's a problem, though. And the problem is that there are other lifelines that have been thrown into the river of sin. Other religious leaders have, have thrown lifelines, which they say will save us. So here's the question. How can we know that Jesus' lifeline will save us, forgive us for our sins? How can we know that this lifeline of the gospel will pull us out of sin into God's presence forever? How can we know? And Paul tells us that in verses 3 through 7. And in this section, Paul talks about how we can know the gospel is true and what the gospel is. So let's read these verses and ask that question. What is the gospel? How can we know it's true? 
Look at what Paul emphasizes and repeats in these verses. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now in these verses, Paul tells us what the gospel is, first of all, and how we can know it's true. And he summarizes the gospel with three statements. Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, and then Christ was raised on the third day. Let's take these one at a time to understand them. First of all, the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus did not die for his sins. Remember, Jesus Christ never sinned. He is the only human being who ever has lived, ever will live, who has been perfectly sinless. He perfectly loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and perfectly loved his neighbor as himself his whole life, perfectly, flawlessly. That's our Jesus, our sinless, beautiful, glorious Jesus. So he didn't die for his sins. He intentionally and purposefully died for our sins. See, he was not a victim, a helpless victim of circumstances beyond his control. He could have chosen not to be crucified at any moment of the time. He chose, he willingly allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to be scourged with that 39 lash whip that the Roman soldiers used. He allowed his hands to be nailed to the cross and his feet to be nailed to the cross. And he did this so that he could pay for the sins of everyone who will trust him. Now, one reason we can know this is true, Paul says, is because this is in accordance with the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. See, Jesus didn't just start some brand new religion. I've got an idea. No, the Messiah was foretold for thousands of years before Jesus came. For thousands of years, the Jewish scriptures had prophesied that the Messiah would come and that the Messiah would die, would, would die and be punished for our sins. Now, one example of one of those prophecies is Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6. Now, understand, this passage in Isaiah 53 was written around 700 years before Jesus was born. So we're in the year 2020 right now. That would put us back in the year 1320, if my math is right. So it's a long time. And look at what was prophesied of the Messiah in Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But he, speaking of the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the, the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. 
And the Lord God the Father has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. So the Old Testament scriptures prophesied that the Messiah would die to pay, to be punished for our sin. I'll never forget years ago at our church in the U.S., I was sitting with a Jewish woman in my office. She had been visiting our church, but was not yet trusting that Jesus was the Messiah. And we read this passage. We read actually all of Isaiah chapter 53. So we're reading it. I'm reading it out loud. She's listening. We're reading through it slowly. And when we finish, I look up and I see that there's, there's tears streaming down her face. And I said, what's happening? What's, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And she said, it's all right. It's all right. Now I know Jesus is our Messiah. Mm. So Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Second part of the gospel. He was buried. Now this is crucial because it shows that Jesus really died. The Roman soldiers, before they would allow anyone to be buried, made sure that they were dead. And in this case, they took a spear and ripped open Jesus' side, just ripped his side open. He was dead, which is why he was buried. So that's the second crucial point. Not only did he die, he was buried. And then third, third part of the gospel. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Jesus was crucified on Friday, which according to the Jewish way of talking, they would have said that was the first day. Then Jesus was in the tomb all day long on Saturday. And according to the Jewish way of talking, that would be the second day. Then Jesus on Sunday was raised from the dead, which according to the Jewish way of talking was the third day. So Jesus was raised on the third day. That's exactly what happened. And again, this is in accordance with the scriptures. Which means that the Old Testament, I love this, Old Testament didn't just prophesy that the Messiah would die to pay for sins. The Old Testament also prophesied that the Messiah would rise from the dead. Now let me give you one passage that points in that direction, also from Isaiah chapter 53, just a couple verses later. Look at Isaiah 53 verse 10. Remember, 700 years before Jesus was born, this prophecy was given. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, God the Father punishing the Messiah. He, God the Father, has put him to grief. He's dead, died, punished. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see, the Messiah shall see his offspring. He, the Messiah, shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So see, even though God crushes the Messiah, putting him to death for our sins, the Messiah will see his offspring, which means he's alive. He's going to see people, men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe, saved, forgiven, reconciled to God. So he will be alive from the dead, and the Messiah will prolong his days. He will rise from the dead. So Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Okay, so we're asking, what is the gospel, and how can we know that it's true? In these verses, Paul says that there's three aspects to the gospel. Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, and Christ rose on the third day. And then so far, we've seen Paul give us one reason why we can know this is true. It's because this is in accordance with the scriptures. 
But Paul gives us another reason why we can know this is true. This is amazing. It's because after Jesus rose from the dead, he personally appeared to many different people. Look at what Paul says in verses 5 through 7. Let's read those verses again. Verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Simon Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So let's just go through this list. First, Jesus appeared to Cephas, Simon Peter. Remember, this is so poignant to think about. Peter denied Jesus three times the night he was betrayed and was, was going to, to his trial, his supposed trial. Peter denied Jesus three times. And so after Jesus died and rose, from the again, rose, from the, rose again from the dead, Jesus specially wanted to show himself, wanted to appear to Peter. We read about this in John's Gospel. Remember, Jesus gives Peter three opportunities to move from three denials to having it be three affirmations. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Peter, do you love me? Oh, you know I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Then Peter, feed my sheep. Go in and help those who are, who are followers. Strengthen them. Encourage them in their faith. So Jesus appeared to Peter. Jesus also appeared to the twelve, Paul tells us. Now, of course, the twelve were literally no, no longer twelve. They were eleven. They, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, was no longer part of them. But they were still called the twelve. And Jesus came to them. And remember what, what he said. He said, look at my pierced hands. Brothers, look at my pierced hands. Look at my wounded side. They saw. They knew. This is Jesus. So Jesus appeared to the twelve. Then get this. Paul says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers, generic brothers and sisters, at one time. Most of them are still alive, although some have fallen asleep, which is a way of saying they've passed away. They've died. That's 500 people. That is a lot of eyewitnesses. Jesus appeared to more than 500 at one time. And then Paul says Jesus appeared to James. Now, who is this James? This is Jesus' brother. And during Jesus' earthly ministry, James, Jesus' brother, did not believe in him. But after Jesus died and rose from the dead, Jesus went and appeared to James. And James believed and became one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. Then Paul says Jesus appeared to all the apostles. So there were more apostles than just the 12, originally the 11, because in Acts chapter 14, for example, we read that Barnabas was one of the apostles. There's no more apostles up to, at this point. Paul was the very last apostle, but Jesus did appear then to the apostles. So see, here's another reason why we can know that the gospel is true. It's because after dying, when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared. He appeared to many different people, showing that he had risen from the dead. Okay, so remember, there's this river of sin, which we are all in because we've sinned against God, and it is flowing and seeking to move all of us down towards the waterfall of God's, of God's judgment. And there's many lifelines in the water, other religious leaders. This will save you. This will save you. Do this. But only one of those lifelines has, on the other end of it, the living, resurrected Son of God. 
committed to pulling you from sin, pulling you from sin and pulling you onto the happy shore of heaven, the joy of his presence. All the other lifelines, when you grab onto them, there's no one on the other end. You're just going to be grabbing onto that lifeline as you move towards the waterfalls of God's judgment. So we're asking the question here, verses 3 through 8, what is the gospel and how can we know it's true? We know that the gospel contains three statements. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Christ was buried. Christ rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And we can know this is true is because this is in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was, was on the earth. And because after rising from the dead, Jesus personally appeared to many people. So think about this. Here's the question then. There's lots of other lifelines in the water. Are you holding fast to the lifeline of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That is the only lifeline who has a living son of God, Jesus Christ, on the other end, committed to pulling you out of the river of sin onto the happy shore of, of heaven where you'll be in his presence in the presence of his father forever. Every other lifeline, there's no one there. And you're going to be drifting towards judgment if you hold on to that lifeline. Now, some of us might wonder if this can really be true for us. Can this be true for you? Maybe you think, I've been away from God for so long. And I have sinned against God so grievously, so tragically. Could Jesus really love me? Could Jesus Christ, the Son of God, really care about me? So let's take a look at verses 8 through 9, the last section of the 8 through 10, the last section of this passage we're going to be looking at. Because in these verses, Paul describes how Jesus saved him, which answers the question, who is it that can be saved by this lifeline? Who can be saved by holding fast to the lifeline of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Look at verses 8 through 10. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. That's not a proud statement as it sounds, because look at this next line. Though it was not I, it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And notice that Paul repeats the word grace three times here. And the reason is because there's a connection between Jesus' resurrection, which he's been talking about, and God's grace. What's the connection between the resurrection and God's grace? Remember, Jesus died to pay for the sins of all who would trust him, and then God raised him from the dead. The resurrection happened to show that Jesus' death did pay for sins of all who will trust him. So the resurrection shows that then we can now have God's grace of forgiveness, life change, joy in him, whole life, beautiful, knowing God's love put into our hearts. So the resurrection shows that we can now enjoy God's grace because Jesus' death did pay for our sins. And Paul wants us to understand that if we hold fast to the lifeline of the gospel, 
God will be as gracious to us as he was to Paul himself. Now, how gracious was God to Paul? Paul used to be named Saul. That was his name. And during that time, he was a Jewish Pharisee and was a horrible man because he hated Christians and lived his life to imprison Christians and to see Christians put to death. Remember the scene that we see in the book of Acts. There is Stephen, loved Jesus Christ, preaching the truth of Jesus, and the, the Jewish people were enraged at him and were stoning him. So think about someone being stoned, big stones, just thudding into his body, just a horrible scene. But Saul is there, standing by, smugly, holding the coats of those who are doing the stoning, pleased with what is happening. That's Saul. But one day, as Saul was traveling to Damascus to arrest some more Christians, Jesus appeared to him. The resurrected Jesus appeared to him. And at that moment, Saul knew Jesus died for sins. Jesus rose from the dead, just as the Old Testament scripture said. Jesus is the Messiah who died for our sins and rose again through whom we can be saved. And Paul repented of his sin. And he put his trust in Jesus. He clung to the lifeline of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who would forgive, who would change, who would save. And as Paul repented of his sins and, and held on, clung to the truth of Jesus Christ, God's grace forgave Paul. His name was changed to Paul. God's grace forgave Paul for all of his sins, which means that God's grace can forgive you for all of your sins, all of them. Yes, even that one and, and that one, all of them. Complete forgiveness, past, present, and future. As Paul repented of his sin and trusted Jesus, God's grace started to transform him. Remember, he hated Christians. He killed Christians. He imprisoned Christians. But Paul became transformed, changed. Sin's power uh, was broken off of him. He was progressively becoming more and more trusting Christ, loving God, knowing God, loving others, obeying what God told him to do. And God will do the exact same thing in you. You will be progressively transformed by God's grace, just like God's grace transformed Saul into Paul. And God's grace completely captured Paul. He knew Jesus. He loved Jesus. He beheld God's glory in Christ. He was so filled with joy, with meaning, with purpose, that he poured his entire life out to advance the gospel. He says, I work more than, harder than all of them. He was captured by God's glorious grace and was devoted to Jesus' glory. And when you repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus, hold on to that lifeline, you will be completely captured by God's glory and be devoted to Jesus' cause. You will have a purpose, a joy, a meaning that is infinitely greater than any other purpose or joy or meaning you can have otherwise. So we're asking the question, who can be saved by this lifeline? And the answer is simple, and the answer is beautiful. Who can be saved by this lifeline? Anyone who will take hold of it. There it is, you're in the river of sin. You feel being, yourself being pulled towards 
judgment of the waterfalls of God's wrath. There's the lifeline in front of you. Take hold of it. Who can be saved by this lifeline? Anyone who will take hold of it. So what do you need to do? I thought about it like this. Some of you, we're, we're all in the river of sin because we've all sinned against God, but some of you have never laid hold of the lifeline of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've never laid hold of it. And so understand your position. You are being moved, and there's nothing you can do about it. You're being moved by the river of sin towards the waterfalls of God's judgment. So I want to urge you, turn to Jesus. Turn to the lifeline of Jesus. Put your trust in him. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin. Trust him. Hold fast. He will be on the shore then, and he will start to pull you. You'll feel yourself being pulled. Instead of the, the flow of sin taking you towards judgment, you'll be being pulled against that flow over to the, the happy shore of Jesus' presence, knowing God the Father. Jesus will pull you all the way out of sin. You will never be punished. You will always only know God's grace in Jesus Christ, God's kindness, God's love. He will pull you all the way to heaven. Others of you are maybe in the river of sin and, and maybe you've, you've held the gospel in the past, but you started looking around. It's like, uh, you know, what else is going on? Maybe, maybe you've, you've, you've let go and, and just, I'm just going to enjoy the river of sin a little bit. Just do a little bit of backstroke through here, you know, just kind of enjoy the river of sin a little bit. But listen, you might think I'm going to enjoy the river of sin and, and I'll, I'll grab back onto the lifeline before it's too late. But understand, the joys of sin can never compare with the joys of knowing Jesus Christ. I mean, you, you've lived long enough. If you've tasted the joy of beholding Jesus Christ and his glory, if you've genuinely repented of your sin, put your trust in Jesus, and received that beautiful outpouring of God's love and presence through Jesus in your life, you know nothing in the world can compare with that. So keep holding on to the lifeline. There's nothing else out there that's going to satisfy you. Keep holding on to the lifeline. You don't want to risk eternity. The lifeline is there. Keep holding fast, like Paul says, to the lifeline of the gospel, to the lifeline of Jesus. Now, I'm praying that as a result of this time together today, that every single one of us at the end of it will be holding fast to the lifeline of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, according to the scriptures, who was buried, who was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures, Repent of your sin, hold fast, put your trust afresh in Jesus Christ. You will be saved, you'll be standing in the gospel, and you will continue to be saved all the way to heaven. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would take this passage and that right now you would be working into our hearts exactly what we need. I pray for those who have never held on to the lifeline of Jesus, held on to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pray that right now they would see the predicament that they are in, see your beautiful love in Jesus Christ, that they would want to be reconciled with you more than they would want anything else in the world, that they would lay, lay hold of the lifeline of the gospel of Jesus and be saved. Do that right now for those who are listening who've never never held on to the lifeline. And then, Lord, for any, any listening whose hands have grown weak, who've let go with one hand and toy with other stuff, who've, who've tried to 
hold on to other lifelines. Lord, I pray that they would see the clarity. There's only one lifeline that has the living God, Jesus Christ, on the other end of it, who will pull us out of sin to his presence. Every other lifeline is going to lead us to destruction. I pray that we would see that sin can never come close to satisfying us like life with you standing in the gospel. And so, God, do the work that we each now need in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.